Tucson's only local morning sports talk show. The Jeff Dean Show starts now. Welcome back to hour number two, today's edition of the Jeff Dean Show. I am Jeff Dean here with you on this uh, wet and soggy Tuesday in the city of Tucson. Whether you're tuning in on the AM side at 1490, on the FM side at 104.9, or if you're choosing to listen to us live via the live stream available on ESPNTucson.com, we appreciate you for tuning in. We know you have choices of uh, where to spend your listening time in the mornings. We do appreciate you choosing ESPN Tucson, and uh, the Jeff Dean Show is Tucson's only local morning sports talk show. And we're going to reward you right now for listening with a chance to win tickets to go see Fluffy, Gabriel Iglesias, the Beyond the Fluffy comedy tour. Be caller number three right now at 520-719-1490. That's 719-1490. Caller number three is going to win a pair of tickets. Uh, the, The show is November 13th at Casino del Sol at the AVA Amphitheater, and uh, just a, a great, great night of comedy. Gabriel Iglesias, absolutely hilarious. Um, <laughs> so, so funny. So, yeah, go see Fluffy on us. Caller number three at 719-1490. You will win those tickets. Good luck. Uh, quick programming note here. Immediately following Spears and Ali today, heard every afternoons on the, right here on ESPN Tucson from 3 to 6 p.m., We'll have live coverage of the Diamondbacks and the Philadelphia Phillies. Baseball game coverage begins at 6. I believe uh, first pitch is at 640. We'll have that for you right here as we are Tucson's flagship for D-backs baseball. So plenty of stuff to get into here in hour number two, notably some cuts in the NFL. Now, the, the, the NFL teams have to get down to 85 today. That's the, that's the roster limit. Most NFL teams were at 90 going into today. They have to be down to 85. So not all the cuts have been, have been announced, obviously. Teams have until noon today, Eastern time, which they may take the entire, you know, the entire time that they have to make those cuts down. Or maybe it's 2 p.m. Eastern time. I can't remember which. So it's either noon or 2. Anyway, the most notable cut so far, and it's only notable because of his name and his history and what we all know about him, but the, the experiment with Tim Tebow in Jacksonville has come to an end. As I called for it yesterday, look, over the weekend, watching him and, and thinking about it even more, if he had spent any more time on the field, he was going to get somebody hurt or hurt himself. He, he, just, he just had no idea how to play the position, period. Period. Needed to be cut. And uh, Urban Meyer did so earlier today as uh, Tim Tebow has been cut. He announced on his Twitter uh, you know, all glory to God and all that other stuff that he that he uh, he likes to uh, discuss out there uh, for giving him the opportunity to do live out his dream. Look, you know Tim Tebow. I'm sure he's a, a great guy. You know he's done a lot of a lot of good Samaritan type things during his lifetime and his career. But it's time for him to find something else to do. Um, I know that people were like, oh, go back to you know being a college football analyst. He was terrible at that too. <laughs> it's he's one of those guys look, I don't dislike Tim Tebow I, haven't, I don't have any reason to dislike him he annoys me I will tell you that much I don't have any reason to dislike him and here's one of the annoying things about Tim Tebow he's the guy that smiles when he talks all the time and you can hear it and he, when, he, when he's talking he's smiling he's like yeah 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 and he's 
oh, and, and the Florida quarterback is having such a great game today. And he's, he's just he, – he does the most mindless, numbing, just ridiculous analysis during college football games and, and pregames and such. But it's constantly with that big, dopey smile on his face the entire time, and I can hear it, and it drives me crazy. So I, I don't want Tim Tebow to go back to doing college football an, uh, analysis work. I'd like him to go, like, go get a regular job somewhere. Use your degree, whatever it happened to be in. Uh, he went to Florida, so I'm sure it was like tiddlywinks or something like that, underwater basket weaving or something of that nature, baked goods. Go get a job. Go do something like that we all that we all do. You haven't been good at anything that you've tried to do in the world of sports other than be a great college football player, which we can count those to the end of time. <laughs> okay, so thankfully the little experiment is over. Urban Meyer did him a solid, bringing him into camp, letting him live out his dream of playing one more time in the NFL. Goodbye. You're going to get somebody hurt out there. You had no idea what you were doing. You didn't look like you wanted to be out there in the first place except to catch passes. I and mean, He gave full effort out there running routes, but trying to block somebody, oh, my God. He was going to get somebody hurt or himself. Just not good. Not good at all. Um, tonight, episode number two of Hard Knocks, Dallas Cowboys camp. I, I think people are getting a little antsy right now about this whole Dak Prescott thing. The MRI that was uh, that was done on his shoulder, of course, was negative. They're like, oh, he's, you know, he's trending as he should. Still not practicing. And he's not going to play against the Texans this weekend, which means that he's going to go into the week one season opener on September 19th against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, the defending champs, without any preseason work at all. Like, he threw passes for two days in camp. And that's it. Coming off an injury-riddled season where he missed 15 weeks, the final 15 weeks of the season, in a season where he did not have training camp the previous year. And again, I'm not, I'm not going to be hypocritical here. I'm not going to say that Dak Prescott needs preseason when I don't think a lot of other veteran quarterbacks do. But the fact of the matter is, he's played in two games and practiced twice. Okay, and I'm not talking about any other kind of off-season workouts and things like that. Obviously, he's been throwing a football more than just those two days in camp that we saw uh, in Oxnard, California. But he's he's played in two games and had two practices in the last 370 days, or whatever it is, year plus, maybe more. I mean, maybe my math is even worse because of the off-season of the 2019 season. So maybe it goes back like 450 days. I don't know. It's been a long time, right? It's been a long time where he's only had, you know, some game reps in, you know, two, two games worth in the last 450 days or whatever it is. I'm not saying it's going to sully the season for the Dallas Cowboys. I still think they are narrowly the best team in the NFC East. I still think Washington is going to surprise some people. I know that Fitzpatrick, people – just they, he drives people nuts. I get it. I like Ryan Fitzpatrick. I think he's got some moxie, and he's certainly won some football games in his time. I don't know if he's a guy that's going to win a division for you in a 17-game season, but that defense is really, really good. Not to mention, 
the New York Giants are regressing. Like they're people expected good things out of the Giants this year. Based on what I've seen in camp, in the preseason game, and from things that I've heard and looking at the the newswire of players retire offensive linemen just up and retiring, three guys is like just I'm out. I'm not doing this. I'm not running gassers because the coach didn't like the fact that we got into a fight. They just left. They were gone. Like, I'm retiring. I'm, not, I'm done with this crap. Joe Judge is wearing people thin in, uh, in New York. I don't know. The offensive line that I thought was getting better last year, of course, ended up being rated in, in the lower third of the NFL as far as offensive line performance, has not improved. In fact, it may have gotten worse in this offseason. And I've seen videos of Daniel Jones in practice in live scrimmages. He's not, he's, he's not picking up on the fact that you, you can't throw the ball to the other team. Like, he just, like, Danny, you gotta, you gotta find guys in your jersey colors, not the opposite team's colors. And every time you take a sack, you can't drop the ball. Okay? Play's not over as soon as you get touched. So the turnover propensity for the New York Giants specifically from their quarterback is a problem. Philadelphia stinks. I don't think they've, they've solved anything at quarterback. I still think they should go out and get Deshaun Watson, although he may never play in the NFL again based on some of the things that I'm hearing. It's, it's getting real ugly for him. I mean, it's been ugly before. It's getting real bad. So the NFC East is kind of like, again, you know, last year Washington wins the division with a losing record. People love that, right? <laughs> Fan, NFL fans just love when a team with a losing record wins a division and gets a stinking home playoff game. It's so well-deserved. Oh, my God, fans go absolutely nuts for that kind of stuff because fans of teams with winning records were sitting at home watching games on TV that were worlds better than the Washington football team from last year. A losing team <laughs> won the division in a, in a battle of attrition. Dallas... I don't know. I don't know, man. They are a dynamic offense with Dak. And we've talked about, you know, some of the problems of him coming off of that foot and ankle surgery after that brutal injury last year. His mechanics changed. I I noticed it right away. First time I saw him throw the football, throwing with his arm. No wonder his shoulder is sore. And now, like, he's not practicing at all. Mike McCarthy said, we'll see how this week goes, but there's no urgency from my perspective to see Dak play against Houston. <laughs> he says, we don't want to create a setback. Okay, so I guess he's just going to be ready on September 9th when live bullets are flying against the, against the champs. Is that, is that what we're saying, that we're going with? Look, Dallas is extremely talented. They've got a tremendous wide receiving core, one of the best offensive lines in the NFL. They're going to be able to run the football with authority, I think I, I've said all along. I think Zeke Elliott has a resurgence this year and, and is one of the top running backs in the league this year. I just I feel like that's kind of going to happen. That's just kind of like one of my little predictions. And the defense with Micah Parsons has gotten better. They, if they stay healthy, they'll at least be able to stop a nosebleed this year, which they couldn't do last year. It's a good football team, a team that could potentially win ten or eleven games this year, depending on how bad the division is and just really how bad those other teams are. But if, if you're not going to start, if you're not going to play your quarterback, like he's not, getting, he's not getting reps in practice. I don't know. That's bad news. 
that's that's not good for the Cowboys. Again, there's a lot of Cowboy haters out there, and that's fine. Okay, I'm certainly not a fan, but uh, you want to see good football being played. And honestly, if the Cowboys are good, it's good for the NFL. I know people hate to hear that, but it's true. The most valuable franchise in the world needs to be relevant. Not that the NFL needs them to be for a for the, for the perspective of, of making money. The NFL is going to print money whether the Cowboys are good or 0-17. doesn't matter. But the league's a better place. There's, there's a lot more things to talk about when the Cowboys are good. I mean, I've talked about the Cowboys as much as I've talked about the Cardinals in this offseason, and I have no interest in talking about the Cowboys. But it's newsworthy, right, because it's something that moves the needle. They're a team that moves the needle, especially here in Tucson. A lot of Cowboy fans in Tucson, people that – Grew up watching Cowboys games because of the regional coverage, right? So we'll keep a close eye on that. Uh, we'll also let you know of any notable cuts that are coming out before we get off the air today at uh, 9 o'clock. A, a T206, if you don't know what the T206 is and you haven't been really card collecting or if you're, you're one of the younger listeners, that's fine. But the T206 is like the holy grail of baseball cards, Okay. It's the Honus Wagner tobacco card, tobacco number 206. The Honus Wagner, uh, you know, obviously Hall of Famer, great, great player. The world record was broken over the weekend, shattered as a, um, uh, who was it? I can't remember the name of the, uh, the brokerage, the house, uh, uh, Robert Edwards, Robert Edwards Auctions. As a T206 Honus Wagner card sold for $6.6 million which includes a 20% buyer's premium, shattering the record for the highest-selling sports card of all time. Previously, the top-selling sports card of all time was a 1952 Mickey Mantle uh, Tops card, uh, Mickey Mantle, which sold for $5.2 million back in, uh, in January of this year as the card-collecting hobby starts to re-elevate itself. A LeBron James autographed rookie jersey card whatever that is, it's from 2003, it's an upper deck card, um, also sold for $5.2 million. That card's only 15 years old, 16 years old. Wait, my math is bad. Mesa Public School, 17 years old. <laughs> uh, so the, the Honus Wagner card went for $6.6 million, which is a ridiculous number. I grew up collecting baseball cards. I love baseball. I used to go to Tucson Toros games, and I would I was made sure I went on baseball card night. Remember, they, they, have, they used to have baseball card night uh, at the Tucson Toros games. You can get a, a pack of baseball cards as you entered. Had a blast with those. Used to collect all the Toros players, some pretty fun ones there. But I also collected a lot of baseball cards, uh, you know, pro and stuff like that. And, you know, would get my Beckett monthly, you know, go to the card shop, get my Beckett monthly so I could check all the prices on my – uh, you know, whatever rookie card I had was worth was worth twelve dollars now. You know, and you go to the go to the baseball card shop, and you'd say, "What would you trade this Barry Sanders rookie card for?" Ooh, wish I had that one back. Now, inherently, this Honus Wagner T two hundred six that sold for six point six million dollars has probably exchanged hands a few times, right? So, for someone out there, they're punching themselves, they're kicking themselves, whatever have you about the big one that got away, right? This could have been their card that they sold for $6.6 million. As a collector, we've all had the big one that got away. What's the big one that got away from your collection? 
hit me up on Twitter, at UAZ Voice. That's at UAZ Voice on Twitter. I would love to know what your biggest getaway card was. Mine, so like I remember my dad telling me this story and when I was collecting baseball cards. And my, so my dad, stepfather, not a big sports fan. Okay, wasn't wasn't a big sports guy. I was the big sports fan in the in the household, uh, but my my dad growing up not not a big sports fan, and so he would ask me. He was genuinely interested. Like, what are these baseball cards about? You know, what are, are they? Are they valuable? Or you you have a you have a, a three giant boxes full of them. What are you doing with all these baseball cards? And we would talk about it. Like, well, this one's worth seven dollars. This is a Will Clark rookie. You know, eighty seven Fleer. It's kind of rare. This one's worth like ten dollars, and he's like, "Oh, that's good, you know. You, you, you can, you know, buy a bicycle someday." <laughs> he told me, he goes, "Yeah, he goes. It's it's interesting because, you know, Mickey Mantle was a was a good player. My dad recognized certain names and stuff. Obviously, he says I remember as a kid we would just go down to the store and we always wanted the gum out of. We paid ten cents for a pack of baseball cards. You could trade the, the trade the cards or whatever you cared about. That he goes, I just cared about the gum, and sticking the cards in my spokes of my wheels of my bicycle." To uh, to make them make the noise, you know that's what kids were doing back in the in the sixties and fifties and such, and making their bicycles make noise. Boys are always trying to make noise with their vehicles, right? That's what they do. Put big mufflers on them, whatever have you. He's like, I specifically remember a Mickey Mantle card. I had a Mickey Mantle card. You know, he was probably like, it was probably like a nineteen fifty five or fifty six Mickey Mantle card. And I'm just like, God, are you serious? <laughs> the card's worth like three thousand dollars, man. Um, I've had some pretty big ones get away from me in my time. As a kid, didn't really understand, you know, obviously the value of these things until I got more into the collector's side of it and realizing you have to take care of these things and, you know, you get a little bit older. But I remember being just a, you know, a young sports fan, and I got a hold of, I opened a a pack of football cards, and my favorite player from my favorite team, Jerry Rice, was in there, and I remember, you know, taping it to, I had like a, like a not a cork board, but like a like it was like early early version of dry erase boards. If you put any kind of marker on it, even a dry erase marker, it was stained forever. It, it was they were the worst. But early iterations of 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 the of the the, of the the white dry erase boards. And I remember taping like my favorite players. Like I had Dwight Clark, and I had all, you know, all the Forty ers I had Giants up there and stuff, and Phoenix Suns players. And I remember putting Jerry Rice's card up there, and you know the tape would wear down over time he'd peel it off or whatever put new tape up there and you know every time you peel the tape off and i'm like like right now there's probably some of you are just out there like cringing right now it's like fingernails on a chalkboard to you to hear this kind of stuff and like, I, I feel the same way i'm with you <laughs> as you're peeling the scotch tape off of the jerry rice rookie card you're peeling off layers of the paint and the you know everything on the card and stuff and you're ruining the card you're just ruining it and i you know i've I was very careless with this card. I was like, hey, check it out. I'd take it off, you know, rip it down off. And check out this. He's my favorite player. He's Jerry Rice. He's really awesome. You should check him out. That card, I have no idea what it's worth today. I don't even want to look it up. I don't want to know. But I had a Jerry Rice rookie card, which I, I'm sure is worth a ton of money. And then once I got, you know, older and stuff, I started collecting more valuable cards, obviously. And I had a 1961 Roger Maris card worth a couple hundred bucks. It was in a it was in a, one of those pressed cases, you know. But I never really had anything 6 6.6 $6 million dollars worth. And especially when the card collecting hobby went into the tank, 
15, 20 years ago, right? The overproduction of cards, they, they flooded the market, and cards became worthless. I bought, when, when, the, when the card market was, was rapidly shifting, I was able to buy, I, I, I targeted one set of cards. I bought a complete box set, sealed in box, 1989 Upper Deck Baseball, okay? Because I knew, and I'm like, Ken Griffey Jr. is in that. He's card number one, the Ken Griffey Jr. rookie card. That is like the most sought-after of the modern era baseball cards, right? That, that aren't errors and weird, you know, mess-up cards. So I made sure that I went and got myself. And there's other good cards in there. You know, there's like Gary Sheffield rookie card in there and stuff, some other good ones. Randy Johnson rookie card in there, 89, 89 upper deck. But I bought just solely with the fact that I knew I was going to have a sealed mint inbox Ken Griffey Jr. 1989 upper deck rookie card. I still have the box set, keep it in a very secure place. Keep it, trying to keep it dry. It's humid as hell. Um, but, yeah, so I know I have that. I looked it up before the show today. That card's worth like 1500 bucks. I'm very happy about that. I think I paid $35 for the box set back in like 2000 or 2001. I consider that a pretty good investment. <laughs> pretty good. Well, I'm going to hang on to it. It's only going to go up. Card, card industry, the card hobby's climbing, climbing rapidly. There's, I, have you seen, like, the? I mean, obviously if you're, you know, if you're a sports fan and you've been checking this stuff out, some of the new card sets that are out there, you pay like a hundred bucks for the chance to get one card in a pack that could be worth thousands. Crazy. Oh, how things have changed. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I don't, I don't have the, uh, I don't have the cash to be doing the, uh, doing the hundred dollar card packs anymore. Don't miss NFL Cover 2 every weekday here on ESPN Tucson, brought to you by Barrio Brewing Company. It is Arizona's oldest brewery, celebrating 30 years of brewing for Arizona. Barrio Brewing Company presents NFL Cover 2 every weekday here on ESPN Tucson. Stay with us. We'll be right back. We'll talk some more NFL, some NBA, right here on the Jeff Dean Show. Now back to the Jeff Dean Show on 1490 AM, 1049 FM, ESPN Tucson. Well, good news uh, for Western Conference NBA teams. Patrick Beverly <laughs> continues to move further and further away from the Western Conference as a member of the L.A. Clippers just a matter of a few days ago. The losers in the Western Conference Finals, of course, the Phoenix Suns, got traded to the Memphis Grizzlies, staying in the West, staying with a playoff team, playoff caliber team at least, was just moved moments ago to NBA purgatory, the Minnesota Timberwolves. <laughs> so Patrick Beverly finds himself. It could, look, it couldn't happen to a nicer guy. Uh, goodbye, good riddance. Can't stand Patrick Beverly. He's, he's just he's made a living off being a nuisance. He thrives on that. I think he plays, I genuinely think he does play dirty. There are certain players in history that that I, I've known in the NBA that play dirty, uh, Bruce Bowen being one of them. And if you don't believe me, uh, I have story time with Uncle Jeff if you ever want to hear that story, if you don't believe me. Um, so Patrick Beverly moves on to, uh, to Minnesota, just being passed around now, as apparently other people don't want to deal with his mess either. It's not worth the contract uh, that, he's, uh, that he's been given. 
Speaking of NBA, just a quick look because the NBA uh, Summer League Championship game is tonight. The Kings versus the Celtics. Celtics have been really good, mainly because Peyton Pritchard has been just absolutely incredible uh, this this uh, this summer league season. He's been remarkable. Um, Davian Mitchell has been really really good also, but some of the players who played extremely well in the in the NBA summer league, we expected the top two guys to play well in the draft. Right, Cade Cunningham to the Pistons, Jalen Green to the Rockets. Both of them played extremely well. They had a great head-to-head matchup uh, in the game that they played. Um, Jalen Green recently came out, I think it was yesterday, the day before, said that he's thankful that he didn't. He wanted to go number one overall, but he didn't want to play in Detroit. <laughs> so that's going to be uh, a lot of fun for Detroit fans. Imagine if he ever somehow makes his way to the Pistons in some kind of deal. The fans don't forget that kind of stuff. Speaking of Pistons, just to sidetrack really quickly. If you haven't watched the documentary on the Malice of the Palace, you need to check it out. It's really, really good. Um, some other guys who, who have played extremely well. I mentioned Peyton Pritchard. He has absolutely dominated the, the NBA Summer League. Uh, listen, uh, we, we saw a lot of Peyton Pritchard, obviously, here in the Pac-12. We saw a, a lot of what he did at Oregon. I never thought that Peyton Pritchard would be the effective NBA player that he has become. I am impressed. I am I'm not shocked. I would say I'm mildly surprised at just how good he's been in his time there. And just he just looks like a natural playing the game. And, and you know, we saw him abuse Pac-12 teams for years with his intelligence and his uh his basketball IQ. That has carried over into the NBA and he has just continued to do well. I I, <laughs> I mean, he he's 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 going to be a real player in this league. I mean, he already is, but I, just based on what I've seen last season and just how effortlessly he has dominated the summer league, yeah, yeah, he's really good. Uh, another player for Houston, the uh, Alperin Sengun, the Turkish player, uh, the high uh, the high draft pick. He was he has played extremely well. Also, um, I believe he leads the summer league in block shots. He's averaging like three three or four block shots a game in the in the summer league. So. Those are just some takeaways. Again, it's not, you know, anything big to, to look at. Some of the sophomores have played well, and some of the rookies have played well. We, we see that a lot in NBA Summer League. So uh, it's good to see that, uh, that that's coming to an end. And I think preseason opens in like five weeks or something for the, for the Phoenix Suns. So, yeah, not a whole big, uh, not a whole long offseason. And we knew that was going to happen because of the – the stalling of the beginning of the, the 2021 season. So there we go. Now, an article came out yesterday on The Athletic, and I teased it during the, during the promo overnight and, and during the day yesterday, talking about this thing called the, the Four Million Club. What, what, like, what is the, the Four Million Club? Andy Staples is the, is the author of this particular article. You can find it on The, on the Athletic. And if, if I haven't... If I've said it once, I've said it a thousand times. If you are not subscribed to The Athletic, you're missing out on the best articles in all of sports. It, they, they, they just they own the world of great articles in sports. It's, no, it's not about the headlines. These writers, they have, they have proven writers who dig deep. They talk to the right people, and they write excellently formed articles that are informative and compelling and thought-provoking. And Andy Staples is one of those guys. I'm going to try to get Andy on the show. Um, 
he's extremely busy right now, obviously, with college football starting up. I'm going to talk to him again today, see if we can find some time to get him on the show tomorrow, because I really want to talk to him about this article that he came out with, because the Big Ten is looking to do something, okay, in the world of college football. They're looking to do something to counteract what the SEC has done with bringing over Texas and Oklahoma, essentially cornering the market with the, the most eyeballs in college football. Now, he talked to a television executive, somebody who, who you know, works on television contracts and deals all the time, does it for a living, and said that there's something called the Four Million Club, and the numbers in this Four Million Club are staggering. And not only embarrassingly rich for the SEC, but embarrassingly uh, just sad for the Pac-12. So basically the 4 million club are any games any any teleclass any, any telecast made over the last you know however many years that had 4 million viewers okay that's like that's that's the the line of delineation there over or under 4 million that's where that's what moves the needle that's what's going to get you big contracts if you have a conference that is consistently getting games with 4 million viewers or more that's what that's what television and uh and these college conferences are negotiating with now I don't want to give away too much because I'm hoping to get Andy on and, and just kind of shed some light on this and exactly what the Pac-12's role in this whole thing could be, specifically Arizona's role in this whole thing could be. But I just want to say this. During the time that these 198 4 million club telecasts were made, that's from 2000, I believe 2014 or 2015 to current, okay, there were 198 telecasts. Only five of those telecasts were Pac-12-only games. Five of the 198, five of them were Pac-12 only, meaning, you know, USC, Oregon, Washington, USC, whatever, okay? Only five of them. Interestingly enough, Notre Dame had four, four million club telecasts when they played Stanford. Stanford does not appear on the Pac-12 only list for 4 million viewers, but as soon as Notre Dame plays Stanford, they've been on the list four times. It just goes to show you just how few eyeballs are watching the Pac-12 nationally, and it's going to cause a problem. This is this this is this is trouble for the Pac-12 because even though they have some good teams here in the Pac-12 and they have for quite some time, teams have competed in the college football playoff, teams have competed for national championships. We've sent tons of players to the NFL, guys that have been in New York for Heisman voting, Heisman hopefuls, Heisman winners. Nobody cares. It's the strangest thing. Nobody's watching Pac-12 football. Nobody. These numbers are staggering. It's, it's, it, it was shocking to read just how insignificant the Pac-12 is nationally it it opened my eyes and i want to i would love to bring andy staples on if i can't get andy on we're, we're going to break it down ourselves but uh i want to go right to the source and bring him on he's a he's a fantastic guest he's an amazing writer um and if you're not following him on twitter you're doing yourself a disservice it's just <laughs> i'm reading this article i'm looking through the statistics and i'm thinking to myself this is not good this is not good for the pac-12 if the Pac-12 wants to stay relevant, they're going to have to hitch their wagon to a much, much bigger product. Will that much, much bigger product want the Pac-12? That remains to be seen. 
Will the Big 12 and Kevin Warren, the new, the new commissioner there, remember Jim Delaney's gone, and uh, Jim Delaney did a phenomenal job for the Big 10. Is new, new commissioner Kevin Warren and George Klyovkov, new commissioner here in the Pac-12, are they going to be able to form a new alliance, essentially, and try to boost the Pac-12's numbers? Would the, would the Big Ten want to bring on what is, I guess, considered nationally to be a, a telecast boat anchor in the Pac-12? We'll see. ESPN Tucson invites you to the Sierra Auction, live, in-person, public auction. The preview is this Friday, August 20th. You can preview from 10 a.m. to 4 p.m. at 3911 North Highway Drive in Tucson. Then you can register online. It's free to register. You can go to sierraauction.com. They're open to the public. There's no dealer license required. And you can bid online Saturday, beginning at 8 a.m., and get the deals you deserve only at sierraauction.com. More info on our website. Come on back. It's the Jeff Dean Show here on 1490 AM, 104.9 FM, ESPN Tucson. Back to the Jeff Dean Show on 1490 AM, 1049 FM, ESPN Tucson. Hey, I forgot to congratulate our winner of the tickets to go see Gabriel Iglesias in November, Stephen Knight. Stephen Knight was our winner. Congratulations, Stephen, on your win. Enjoy the comedy hour or the comedy several hours, I guess, is going to take place. Uh, and enjoy the show. Fluffy is phenomenal and uh, extremely entertaining and a, a true a true gem in the world of comedy. So enjoy that, and thank you for listening, Stephen, and uh, enjoy the show. Practice is underway on campus at Tucson. There are eyeballs on practice right now. If anything comes about before we get out of here in uh, 15 minutes, we'll let you know. But as of right now, practice is underway. The team is practicing. They are in, um, they're in full pads today. Full pads. Uh, I don't know how much tackling there will be, but uh, they are they are head to toe dressed out today. So uh, we'll keep an eye on that. Of course, we'll have all reports tomorrow for you guys who stood out. Specifically, a look into the quarterbacks, and then we'll have plenty of snippets from the press conference to uh, to dissect when the coaches and the players take to the microphone following today's practice. Real quickly, also coming out of Glendale, as Cardinals practice is underway. DeAndre Hopkins and Chandler Jones, neither of them spotted on the field today. Not sure if they're just getting treatment before they go out with the team, but in the open session of the practice, at least as of just a few minutes ago, neither DeAndre Hopkins nor Chandler Jones spotted on the field. I don't think there's anything to read into that. They both seem to be healthy. I don't believe there's anything nagging going on there. Again, could just be treatment uh, or or it could be just veteran treatment. (laughs) Like, hey, uh, don't worry about making the open session today. We're going to look at these positions, and you don't need to be part of it. So um, so we'll we'll keep an eye on that. But as of right now, it's all good. Nothing to worry about. As, as I mentioned in the, in the previous segment, I'm going to try to get Andy Staples on, talk about the, 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 the 4 Million Club article that he wrote. In the teams with the most games in the 4 Million Club, that 4 Million Club being where there were 4 million eyeballs on the game, Alabama, the leaders, they've had 35 appearances in the 4 million club in, in, the, in the last six years, or five years, I think it is, because um, they're, they're excluding, I believe, 2020, so rightfully so. Uh, Ohio State second, Michigan third. It's just, you know, the, the Big Ten, the Midwest continue to dominate. They just they, they watch whatever football is on. They love it. And then, of course, the Southeast, uh, as they continue to do that, Auburn, was fourth, tied with Notre Dame. Very loyal following. Is I'm surprised Notre Dame's number wasn't higher. Uh, with their television contract that they have that pays them from NBC, 
may not be worth it. That's the most lucrative contract in sports outside of the SEC's contract with ESPN uh, and 17 4 million club games for, for Notre Dame. Uh, Florida, LSU, Clemson, Georgia, all there at the top. Uh, Michigan State in coming in with 11 4 million viewers. So, but the the one glaring you know omission here. There's no Pac-12 teams. Again, only five Pac-12 games were in that four million club in the 198 telecasts that registered four million eyeballs. Five of them were Pac-12 games. By comparison, there were 58 games where there were it was cross conference, okay, or independence. That includes Notre Dame. There were 55 SEC games, 49 Big Ten games. You see, they're not that far behind the SEC. ACC had 13 such viewers. Uh, The Big 12 had 12, which seems a little low to me. But the Pac-12 with five, it's not even close. What does the Pac-12 do? I mean, how does the Pac-12 dig themselves out of this hole that, I mean, it's not like the Pac-12 got themselves into it. I just think that, well, let's, okay, let's back that up a little bit. I don't believe the football teams are responsible for doing that. I place 98% of the blame on Larry Scott for putting the Pac-12 in this hole. Pac-12 was a viable commodity up until about 2009. Hmm. What happened in 2009? I'm trying to remember. Oh, that's right. <laughs> So, viable commodity, they had eyeballs on the TV, they had great, uh, you know, they had good, I shouldn't say great, they had good television partnerships. The Pac-12 is on the outside looking in right now. The Big Ten is actually in a position of power. Their contract ends this year, so they're going to be able to renegotiate before any of these other conferences get to renegotiate. And with CBS losing the SEC, NBC has, according to reports, they've been nibbling at other options outside of Notre Dame, maybe moving Notre Dame to the Peacock Network and then doing some other things on NBC uh, National Network, they've been nibbling. They've been, they've been inquiring about possibilities, new contracts. Could the Big Ten be that one? Could that be the big fish? And if they are, and they do seem the likely culprit for the next big purchase as far as television contracts go, who do they bring with them? Do they include the Pac-12? Do they want the Pac-12 as part of their deal? Do they do they open a you know a scheduling you know uh, uh, alliance with the Pac-12 and or the ACC and or the Big 12? Remember, it wasn't too long ago. Uh, I believe it was, gosh, right around 2009 or 2010. I can't remember what happened around that time. Oh, that's right, we got a new commissioner. Um, the Big Ten Conference was trying to schedule an alliance with the Pac-12. And the Pac-12 was like, eh, I don't know if we can fit you into our schedule. And Jim Delaney's like, okay, sure. Eh, Off with you then. Be gone. Pac-12 said no. We have scheduling conflicts. We We can't fit you into our schedule right now. Maybe try back in a few years. Jim Delaney was like, forget you. I'm doing my own thing. And rightfully so. I would have done the same exact thing. Spurned by the Pac-12? Who are you? <laughs> it's a problem. So they're going to have to mend fences. And thankfully, look, 
new commissioners in both seats, Klyavkov, Warren. I still don't have much faith in Warren. I don't think he <laughs> think he's in over his head personally, but we'll see. I mean, it, it takes time to, 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 you know, to learn that role, to be good at it, certainly. It takes a lot of time. But how far behind are we? That's the problem. And what other products are out there? ACC looking pretty good. A lot of teams in the top 25. A lot of sizzle in the ACC outside of, you know, the usual suspects. You know, Florida State was really good for a long, long time, obviously. They're climbing back into relevance somewhat. Miami going to be good again. North Carolina. Of course, Chapel Hill has a good following. Mac Brown there. He's going to move the needle for people. It's a good product. Big 12, you know, terrible, awful product now that Texas and Oklahoma are essentially good as gone. Might not even be recognized anymore. In fact, the Big 12 is going into these negotiations without including Texas and Oklahoma, things that could affect the upcoming season. And everybody like, we're not, don't worry about Texas and Oklahoma. We're not, we're not dealing with them. Kind of gives you a little insight into just how quickly that schedule is going to change for those two schools. 1490 AM, 104.9 FM, ESPN Tucson and Tucson Appliance are looking for the next big radio star. Hey, could be you. If you think you've got what it takes to do what we do on the air here every single day at ESPN Tucson, submit a video to us at ESPNTucson.com. 60 seconds or less on the video. Don't go over time. They don't, they, the radio executives hate that when you go over time. Probably why I've had like 11 different jobs. Because <laughs> I constantly blow through stop signs. Right, Mary? She's, yes, she's like, yep. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Got a break. Okay, I'll break right now. Just keep talking for three minutes. Your, your video may even get played on the air during the afternoon show on Spears and Ali every weekday here from 3 to 6. The grand prize winner will get a weekly phone guest spot on the Spears and Ali show. Get your videos to ESPNTucson.com. Our voting starts August 27th, and you better hope that I'm not one of the judges because I'm very strict. A star is born on ESPN Tucson, brought to you by Tucson Appliance only at Tucson Appliance, where our low prices are your priority. When we return, we're going to put a big, bright red, shiny bow that ironically matches the color of a stop sign right here on the Jeff Dean Show, 1490 AM, 104.9 FM, ESPN Tucson. More of the Jeff Dean Show on 1490 AM, 1049 FM, ESPN Tucson. Welcome back to final segment of today's edition of the Jeff Dean Show. Don't forget to check out Spears and Ali this afternoon from 3 to 6 p.m. every weekday here as Justin and Ali break it all down for you, get you the news from the day. Justin out at practice right now, and uh, he'll have the latest for you. Uh, if you're unable to tune in, we'll have all the latest for you tomorrow morning right here at 7 o'clock. Also, stay tuned. D-backs and Phillies immediately following Spears and Ali. Coverage starts at 6, first pitch at 6.40 as D-backs host the Phillies tonight in Phoenix. J.J. Uh, Taylor currently in camp with the New England Patriots. There are some insiders at the at Patriots camp saying that he has emerged as one of the real playmakers on that football team, and I am not surprised. J.J. Taylor is a gamer. He's a hard worker. He's a very talented football player. And Bill Belichick knew what he was getting when he brought J.J. Taylor in, and they're saying that he's going to play the very Dion Lewis, Danny Woodhead-esque role that we've come to know in that offense. So uh, look for J.J. Taylor to, uh, to really get some, uh, get some reps this year for New England. They really like what they've got in running back J.J. Taylor. Honestly, what's not, not, what's not to like? 
Uh, as I mentioned, he works really hard. He's a gamer, good football player, very talented football player, good north-south runner, can have some elusiveness in the hole, jump cuts and things like that, good receiver out of the backfield, plays the fundamentals well, doesn't drop the football, doesn't put on the carpet, is a good blocker in Max Pro, can do it all. Um, you know, he doesn't have the elite speed, the elite size, the elite strength, all that kind of stuff that you would get out of a number one back, but he's going to have a significant role in New England's offense. If, if what I'm reading from the, the insiders and such like that in New England, talking about J.J. Taylor, we're proud of him, and uh, he's a great Wildcat, and he's going to represent well in the NFL on a team who I think is going to be a surprise this year. I think, I think New England's going to be surprisingly good. Be ready for them. I don't know if that, if that division is, is ready to – I mean, obviously Buffalo is the class of that division – I don't know if if Miami is ready to take the number two spot just quite yet for a considerable amount of time. We'll see what happens with the Tua Tunga Bailoa experiment there. All right, well, that's going to wrap things up for today's edition of the Jeff Dean Show. Congratulations, Stephen Wright, the winner of our fluffy tickets. Thank you, Stephen, for listening. Congratulations enjoy the show. Thanks to Mary on the, uh, on the console for pushing all the right buttons and keeping us on the air here. And, of course, thanks to you, the listeners, for tuning in here. We look forward to seeing you here again tomorrow morning at 7 a.m. Same showtime, same show, show channel right here on the Jeff Dean Show, 1490 a.m., 104.9 FM, ESPN Tucson. Thanks for listening to the Jeff Dean Show, Tucson's only local morning sports talk show. Jeff will be back tomorrow morning at 7 on ESPN Tucson. From the Casino Del Sol studio, the soul of Tucson, this is ESPN Tucson. 1490 KFFN AM Tucson, KMXC HD4 Tucson.